to welcome you to a Kingdom Perspective podcast. My name is Steve Higgs, and I'm here uh, with Scott Monette. And today we're going to be talking about a Kingdom Perspective on standing up for others. And in order to introduce that topic, uh, I want to talk about Harvey Weinstein. He's a producer in Hollywood. Uh, you've probably heard a lot uh, of his name in, in social media and media in general. He's produced a lot of uh, films. He's had a lot of power. And there have been a number of allegations that have now made kind of front page news allegations made against him, uh, including uh, sexual harassment, uh, manipulation, coercion, and on at least one occasion, rape. And these allegations uh, got to a, a boiling point in our culture where eventually his board of directors made the decisions that they would part ways with him. Now, I don't want to get into, for the purposes of this podcast, all the nature uh, the nature of the allegations against him because it's some pretty pretty gruesome stuff. But let me say this. If even half the allegations are true uh, that, that you read about, they are predatory enough that I believe you would have a large group of people in his sphere of influence, uh, in his sphere of influence that were friends and family, people that worked with him, uh, not victims of the crime, but other people uh, that saw something that knew something was off. And as the story of, of Harvey Weinstein unfolded, that's exactly how the, the story unfolded, is you had Ben Affleck, uh, after the news initially broke, he, here's his tweet. He said, I am saddened and angry that a man who I worked with used his position of power to in intimidate, sexually harass, and manipulate many women over decades. He sent out that tweet. It went a little bit longer than that, but that's the beginning of the tweet. And it wasn't long after he sent that tweet that one of the victims came forward and said that she had told Ben Affleck what had happened to her uh, and what Weinstein had done. And Affleck's response to her was that he had told Weinstein years ago that he needed to stop this behavior. When you are as predatory as Harvey Weinstein appears to be, people know. There are people that see it. There are people that at least suspect that something's off with this guy. The way he interacts with uh, a wait staff at a restaurant the way he interacts with uh, actresses on the set. There's something off. People know Quentin Tarantino uh, came forward and said, I knew enough to do more than I did. I knew enough to do more than I did. And he expressed regret for not having done more. Well, and that's, uh, I guess, the question that we want to get at today. It's not a question of right and wrong. What we want to talk about today is a question, not from the perspective of the one doing the victimizing, you know, not from, not from the perspective of a Harvey Weinstein, not from a perspective of a victim either, but from the perspective of those people who knew, who, who saw what was going on, maybe not in totality, but enough. Non-victims. Yeah, non-victims, but people who, who knew what was happening. Uh, maybe someone that a victim confided in, uh, or someone that was close enough to Harvey Weinstein to observe this behavior. And the question is, what should we do when we find ourselves in that situation, in a situation like a Ben Affleck or a Quentin Tarantino or uh, others who have come forward admitting that they knew about this, that they saw these types of behavior, that they were alarmed by it? What do we do when someone close to us is doing something wrong. I actually think this, uh, the, the Harvey Weinstein thing is, uh, it's uh, a really big issue. 
but 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 I actually think when we dial this down to a local context, it it becomes a, a really big issue for us as well because we see stuff like this all the time, you know. And, and sometimes it's in our sphere of influence. Sometimes it's at the grocery store. I remember seeing a mom at a grocery store losing it on her kid. I was like, what do what do I do? You know, I mean, swearing, cussing this girl up and down. Right. And you feel in that moment you're conflicted because it's not my kid. You know, so you feel, we feel like, well, it's none of my business. But at the same time, you have that sense that, that this is wrong, that I should do something. But there's, there's just something there, at least for me, there's just something there that says it's not my place. It's not my business. Someone else will surely handle this, someone who knows the person better, someone who uh, has more influence in that person's life. Surely they uh, will handle it and and take care of it. So I think often uh, I end up doing nothing. I think I, I think of the story of the Good Samaritan uh, in the, in that sense, where you know a lot of times we like to we like to just beat up on the guys that walked by and did nothing. But if you really think about it, I mean, you know, what are the excuses? I'm too busy. I, I don't have time. I have somewhere that I need to be. Someone else. We'll see them and and take care of them. They're not my responsibility, and all of those excuses are excuses that I've used. Well, and I I think the the uh, the in, the the idea of influence as an excuse is is a really important one because that's probably my number one as well. That I don't have any influence in this person's life. So if I confront them, you know, if they're a stranger and I confront them in, in Kroger or whatever. You know, I don't have influence. Now, a lot of times, as we're going to talk this through, a lot of times we do have influence. Right. This is somebody in our family or it's a friend or, or whatever, and we do have influence. But regardless, um, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And that's the kingdom perspective. The kingdom perspective is to speak up. And it doesn't say, this passage doesn't say, speak up for those you know well who cannot speak up for themselves. It doesn't indicate the necessity of a close relationship in order for me to speak up for someone or to stand up on their behalf. It says that when when you see uh, someone being, you know, the, the New Living Translation says to ensure justice for those who are crushed. You know, when you see someone who's being crushed by uh, by you know someone else's sin, by uh, someone who's in a position of authority, uh, and and they have no power or authority. We are called to stand. We are called to speak up and not remain silent uh, in those situations. To speak up on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. And I think there's a couple kind of categories here that we're gonna we're gonna spend some time. Uh, working through, and, and the first one would be to, to me acts that are illegal. So, so you know someone who's abusing their spouse, or who's doing drugs, or who's drinking and driving. You, you know someone who's performing; they're, they're doing an illegal act. And I think the speaking up in that situation is calling the police. I so, think this is the easiest category. Yeah, so, call the police. So no, it's not easy to do, but it's easy to understand. Right, right. Yeah, that's a distinction. Because to be clear. I mean, like, this seems silly that we have to be clear, but illegal means if our country has a law against it. If there is a law against this behavior that is in place, that means it's illegal. And I say this because I deal with students, and students like to push boundaries or or at least 
talk their way into pushing boundaries. The, the thing going on right now, I have conversations all the time about marijuana. It doesn't really harm me. It's the way we're heading. It's not going to be illegal forever. Like they're going to legalize it. And the answer is, it doesn't matter. Is it illegal? And and if the answer is yes, it's illegal, then then it, either it is or it isn't. And, and so, when it is legal, it will still be illegal for your students. Well, yeah. Most likely. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's, people don't seem to understand, like, yeah, it'll be legalized. There'll be no limits at all. Right. But, but right. So if it's illegal, it doesn't matter if you think it should be or shouldn't be. It either is or isn't. So there's there, in this category, there's really no room for interpretation. No, and this is, you know, we were talking earlier uh, b- before we, we came in about this is advice between the two of us. We've given this advice out hundreds of times. Right. That uh, in a variety of situations, call the police. The police need to be involved in this situation. It's illegal. That's why there are police. Romans chapter 13 talks about, it says everyone must submit to the governing authorities. The Bible says that there are the authorities that are in place are there because God has them there. They're there to, to uphold the law. They're there to administer justice and, and punishment when it's appropriate uh, for those who are breaking the law, that it's not... You know, vigilante justice isn't in, isn't God's plan. It's not my job to uh, you know to to exact justice on someone who has broken a law. There's there's an avenue for that, and it's it's nine one one. It's it's call the police, and the police are equipped and trained to handle situations where a crime is being committed. And I would just encourage you, especially if this is somebody in your life. A lot of times, Scott and I have both found people very resistant to this idea because it's like, I love them so much and I care about them so much. How can I call the police? That may be the most loving thing you do for them. If they're getting deeper and deeper into drugs or they're becoming more and more abusive or they're heading down this this path, something worse is going to happen. You need to call the police. Yeah. So this happened to me not that long ago. I, I This just kind of occurred to me. I, I was in a, a minor car accident and uh, the, the person, not my fault, the person who, who hit my car didn't have car and didn't have auto insurance. And uh, this, this person went to a great length to convince me, to try to convince me not to call the police because uh, you know, why should they lose their license? Why, why should they have to pay all this money uh, just because of, of this, you know, fender bender? And, and it ended up being a little more than that. My car was totaled as a result. But, <laughs> uh, but, but you know, the, the point was, you know, playing on my compassion that the police don't need to be called. And, and that's, not, that's not, not right. In that situation, you know, there's a car accident, you call the police. There's, you know, when a law has been broken, uh, the, the police are the ones that are equipped to handle the situation. And whether it's, you know, it's, it's really not, you don't, you don't bring in all those other, other confusing factors of, you know, what might happen if the police come and then they might go to jail and you don't know what's going to happen. What you know is that, a person has broken a law, and the the avenue available to you is to uh, to call the police uh, to to rectify that situation. That's the right thing to do. Yeah. So you have illegal, and then the the next kind of category is immoral. 
Things so that these are, are immoral. Th- these are times when you should speak up. Yeah, T- yeah. Times these are times to up. speak. So when you see you, you see that something illegal is being done, or then now when you see something immoral is being done. So what do you mean by immoral? So, yeah. What what exactly do we mean by that? There's a lot of ways you could define immoral. Uh, for the purposes of today, for the purposes of what we, we're talking about, let me define it this way: immoral acts are acts that fall under the banner of a common societal ethic. And so every society is this way. Every society in history has been this way, that there are just things that, by and large, a culture agrees are wrong. And they almost always line up with God. I, I, you know, God placed this inside of us. Right. And so they almost always agree with God's word. But these are things that, by and large, you, know, you don't have to be a Christian to believe it's wrong. You, you just have to be in, in that society, and you're taught that it's wrong. So an example of it would be, in our culture, lying. That if you were to do a man-on-the-street thing, almost everybody would agree lying is wrong. Right. Well, and, and, then they, and then I would say that almost everyone also is lying. Yes, yeah. Well, that, that's maybe a, not about that. Maybe, but. yeah, that's probably another <laughs> podcast. But yeah, um, cheating on your spouse. Almost everybody, a lot of people do it, but almost everybody would articulate that they shouldn't. They shouldn't do it. It's right. wrong. Cheating on your taxes, uh, it's at a minimum uh, wrong for others. So, <laughs> um, you know, so there are these kind of, there are these cultural, societal ethics that, that take hold. Well, and even, I, I mean, like, even further, you know, sexual harassment is, is wrong. But not illegal. I mean, like in some forms, if you go to an extreme, it, it, there are certainly illegal ways. But sexual harassment in the workplace, I think soci- our society, our culture would agree that's wrong. That's that's immoral. You shouldn't do it. But you're not going to jail for it. It's not illegal. Racism is another thing. You know, racism, more or less. I mean, for for the most part, I would say everyone, most people agree that that racism is wrong. It's not desirable. It's not the way we should treat one another. It's not illegal. Uh, now, again, it can lead to something illegal, but but me harboring those types of feelings, that's not illegal for me to do that. But I think that society in general would agree it's wrong. Yeah. In our, in our opening example, there is nobody in our culture defending Harvey Weinstein. Right. Th- that we as a culture agree. What he did was wrong. That what he did was wrong. Yeah. I've, I've not heard anyone say otherwise. <laughs> no, so there's an interesting kind of passage about this in uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 5. Uh, the Apostle Paul is is writing about uh, an affair that is happening in the church there, and here's what, here's what he writes. He says, it's actually, actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. See, what Paul is saying is, he, he, and he goes on, but what Paul is saying is, man, everybody would agree this is wrong. Why, why are you guys not on the same page? Right. You, you know that that even even people outside the church would, would agree uh, that this is wrong. So this is stuff. What we're talking about right now is stuff that um, it really doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not on this level. This is stuff that we all kind of agree is wrong, and and you speak up. You speak up about it when, right. when you see it. Well, then, in in that instance in First Corinthians, it, it, you know, Paul blasts the Corinthian church not just for tolerating the behavior, like not just that they were letting it go, but he says you're actually proud of this. You're proud that you tolerate your to this level 
that that you are so accepting. And I think that's the danger that that we we see it as as we are, that we're called to accept everyone. And so I thought sometimes I think Christians are more susceptible to this than maybe the society in general that you know just like the the guy that hit my car and was trying to appeal to to my compassion not to call the police. I think we sometimes as Christians are more susceptible because we want to accept people. We want to show people that God loves them. And so we're more susceptible to let these things go in the name of God loves you. I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. I, you know, and really, I don't know that it's really standing up for God. Really, I think it's, it's just like, I want you to like me. Like, I don't want you to hate me or be mad at me. So I'm not going to be the one to say these things to you, these hard, these difficult things that you need to hear. Someone needs to stop you, but I'm supposed to love you. So I think sometimes as Christians, we get this mixed up that, that we think that the loving thing is to tolerate and not say anything. It's a little bit different than what Paul is talking about in terms of celebrating sin. But I can almost guarantee you from, from our opening illustration, if, if you were to go years back in Harvey Weinstein's history, there would have been people that at times probably joked about it. Oh, you know, boys will be boys, and oh, that guy's a, a, a pig, but they're kind of chuckling about it. And you think about how, how many less people could have been hurt if, if somebody would have spoken up right, and, and said this is wrong. Well, and it's from— I, I mean, maybe, I, maybe some did. You know, I, I don't know the story that closely. But. Right. Well, I mean, if, you know, it sounds as if Ben Affleck at least at some point confronted Harvey Weinstein and told him not to do those things. Now, people can debate whether or not— that was enough, but uh, it, it was something, you know, allegedly something, you know, right. according to his own yeah. tweet. And you really do, you really want to make sure that anytime uh, you're um, confronting something like this, that your motivation is concern. Um, con- concern for the person being hurt and con- concern for the person doing the hurting, that this is not the best way for you to live. So you, you really do want to make sure that's where. Uh, that, that's where you're at, because our sinful nature, I think, can mess with us on this. And at times, maybe you want to humiliate someone, mm-hmm. or at times, maybe you want to get back to them. Or I think in our culture, sometimes we just want to feel morally superior. Right. And so really do a, a heart check on this. I think that's so important, because, I mean, like, we're, we're talking about what do I do? You know, when, when, I, when I see someone near me who's done something that's obviously wrong, so far we've talked about when it's illegal, uh, but also when it's immoral. So we've talked about what do I do? We should stand up. You should stand up and say something. You should open your mouth. Uh, we talked about when should we, should we say something. We should say something when it's illegal. We should say something when it's immoral. But what you just said is why. Why should I say something? And, and, and it's the motivation that I have. For, right. for speaking up, the motivation I have for standing up. And the motivation shouldn't be to hurt someone or to gain leverage or, or career advancement that I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to speak up about this person at my work because I want their job. And right. I, that's not, that's not the reason you speak up. You speak up because you care about, and what you said was so important about both the person who was hurt and the person who did the hurting. You want them to stop, you want them to get help. You want them to get better. You want them, and 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 you want those same. You want the same things, obviously, for the victim. But you you speak up out of concern for people. You know what's really interesting about it too is that 
I think that we tend to think that speaking up isn't going to do anything. But think about in your history, how many times speaking up has stopped it? You know, when you're in an environment where people are maybe um, being very racially insensitive and, and telling a joke or maybe being very sexually uh, explicit and telling a joke in the workplace or, or, or whatever, and you say something, it almost always ends it. Now, you know, I'm not going to act as though you've changed that person's heart because only God can do that. But speaking up is not nothing. I mean, it's something. Well, yeah, exactly. And and then and it's what the Bible commands us to do, uh, to to speak up, um, not to not just be silent, to not not just assume uh, that that it's it's you know. It'll just get better or go away on its own. But and that's really that's the last category for the Christian is is acts that are sinful. Right. We've talked about you know immoral, illegal, and now uh, sinful. Now a sinful act obviously can be illegal, uh, it can be immoral, but it really goes beyond that. That these are acts that we believe as Christians. If you're a Christian, that Jesus taught against these, or the Bible uh, says these things are wrong, and, and so. It doesn't really matter if our culture's passed a law about it. Uh, it doesn't really matter if society all agrees on it. Jesus said it, and right. so we we think these things are wrong. So okay, so let's say, but just for the sake of saying that for a minute you're not a pastor. Let's say you're working in an office environment somewhere, and one of your coworkers uh, is doing something that is not illegal and not really immoral, like it's generally acceptable behavior in the workplace, but you know that God doesn't approve. Maybe maybe gossip. Maybe maybe they're talking about their coworkers a lot. In Gossip's a, a good example. Yeah, I mean in a way in a way that it's demeaning, it's but it's not really immoral because it's kind of accepted that everyone does this. We all we all participate in varying levels of gossip. So you're at your office, this person's doing this, it's sinful so are are you saying that that you believe as a Christian it's that you're called to stand up and confront that person for their sinful behavior? No, I actually I actually don't believe that. I, I I think the very first question you ask when you're navigating these waters is is the person I'm getting ready to confront a Christian? That that you you, you need to you need to have that information because you holding a person to the teachings of Jesus Christ when when they haven't crossed that line of faith is 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 really not a fair thing to do. Hmm. So there is there is an ethic of right of of right and wrong, and I think there are ways you can communicate that. You know, I think about uh, my wife at her workplace. You know, she she is not a super vocal person. Everybody she works with knows she's a Christian, and so there are ways that that you can do this right. uh, that that aren't necessarily holding people to a standard that they haven't agreed to, uh, but. But it is communicating a standard. Well, and that's that's a good point. When when you become a Christian, you are agreeing to be held to a certain standard. You are by other Christians. I don't know that we we're, we do a very good job letting people know that that's part of the deal. You know that when you become a Christian, you're saying you're saying to other Christians, "I need your accountability. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I need you to help me stay on the path." And and so that just by virtue of becoming a Christian, you are opening yourself up to that kind of accountability. That when I am engaging in a sinful behavior, I I both need and expect my my other you know other Christians to to speak up 
to confront that behavior in me and help me get back on the path I need to get on. And you really, we're really kind of having a niche conversation when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, because it's not as though if you're not a Christ follower, I don't want to give the impression like, well, then there's just no standards. Because if you live in the United States, there are laws. If you work for a company, I guarantee you they have a company handbook. Right. Those are laws, too. I mean, but, you're not going yeah, yeah, you're you're to call the police. Jail, but, yeah, I mean, you're not going to call but the yeah, police. Those are, those, you, you are being restrained by that company handbook. Right. And you're still expected to follow those laws. You agreed to that when you agreed to the job. Right. And I, I don't think probably any of those company handbooks would have um, like gossip in them. So I think that's why I think that's such a right. good example. M- maybe certain kinds of gossip, like like certain types of malicious talk, but really not just in general. Gossip yeah. in general probably wouldn't be there. So whenever whenever you're confronting someone or, or thinking about speaking up to someone that's not a Christian, you really, your, your leverage point really needs to be the authority that they're actually under. And so, you know, if it's illegal, you know, you can use United States authority. If they're a Christian, well, now you've got Christian authority, the authority of Jesus. Right. But everybody's under authority. And so if you feel like you need to confront someone, use that authority yeah. to, in, in order to confront them. Right, right, exactly. Because it's not really fair to say to someone that's not a Christian, Jesus says you shouldn't do that. Right. What, what, what do they care? <laughs> yeah. I mean, about, I mean that, that's your authority. Right. Well, and Paul even says that. What business is, is it of mine to judge those outside the church? You know, that we, we're, called, we're called to... To judge those inside the church, and by judge, he he does he means to hold them accountable. Uh, so that that that's our that's what we're called to do. We're called to hold one another accountable to that standard. And it is it's a high standard. You know, we were talking about James four seventeen. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Right. It's a sin for them. Yeah. Well, and that speaks directly to this conversation. You know the good you ought to do. You see, you see that person in the grocery store that's that's treating their kid that way, and you know the good you ought to do at minimum is to say something. And and if you know that that's the right thing to do, and you choose not to do it for whatever reason, James says it's a sin for you. You have disobeyed the Holy Spirit's prompting. You've disobeyed God's will in your life to not say something in that moment because you knew in that moment that the right thing to do would be to say something, to stand up for the person who can't stand for themselves. So let's talk just for a minute about speaking up in the area of sin. Right. Because the Bible actually does talk about this uh, in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. Yeah, that how how do we do this well? Because even if you, you, you get the sense like, yes, I should, we're not very good at it. And it, so, feels, okay. it feels awkward, but yeah, yeah, here's here's what um, uh, Matthew 18, 15 says. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. If they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. So obviously this is talking about how Christians hold each other accountable when it comes to sin, how we speak up when it comes to this category of sin. But I actually think, just as a quick aside, the first two items in that list give us a great framework for dealing with both immorality and sin. Now, again, if it's illegal, you're calling the police. Right, yeah, illegal, call the police. You're not Uh, not just going alone to confront the the crime. No, yeah, that would be a really bad idea. So immorality and sin, go to the person alone first, 
and then bring others in second. And I, I think that's a good framework for how to start a conversation right. about either immorality or sin. Right, because it respects the person's privacy initially. Because a, a lot of times today what we do is if we do speak up, we, we feel like empowered to speak up, and so we tweet. Or we go to Facebook or, or you know social media, yeah. and we instead of going to the person, we alert the world about what's happening. Trying to get people to agree, and, right? Because we, yeah, exactly. We need people in our corner, and we we've, we've turned it into a fight to ver- from the very beginning. And again, I would I would suggest that that is not motivated by a concern for another person. If you're going to social media in order to point out someone else's flaws, you are not motivated by concern for that person. Right. That's not why you do that. No. If I'm concerned for you, I don't broadcast your junk out there to the whole world for the whole world to hear. I come to you. And it's going to be super uncomfortable, but I value our relationship enough to do it because the Bible calls me to, to speak up and to stand up. But before I stand up and shout from the rooftops what's been going on, I owe it to you to give you the opportunity to change, to give you the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work on on your heart and for you to say, you know what, I see I see that what I've been doing is wrong. It's you know it's immoral or it's against God, and I want to change. You know, it gives you the opportunity to seek help without being embarrassed and dragged through a public forum. And so, yeah, it's wise. The very first step is one on one that 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 you go to the person and in love, you know, speaking the truth in love. You go to the person and in ideally a person that you have a relationship with. It's much easier if, if, if there's trust and respect between the two of you. Yeah, and so one-on-one, you know, I, I think the reason he goes to the next step is one-on-one it would be very easy if you're bringing somebody's sin to them and saying, hey, I'm concerned about this. It would be easy for, for them to say, you're crazy. That's just, you're being paranoid. You know, you're the only one that sees it. Right. And so the next thing is bring in two or three people. These are other people that that care about this person that can corroborate what what, what is being seen. They they can agree. And I think in an instance like that, you have to be careful that it's not you don't end up just ganging up on a person and piling on. Again, what is motivating you? It, you have to be motivated by a legitimate concern for the other person. This part of this part of Matthew eighteen actually makes me think of uh, you know the idea of an intervention like and and I watched the show How I Met Your Mother and like they're always having interventions. There's this group of friends always having interventions for each other when when a behavior needs correcting. And Marshall, this is an intervention. It's about the hat. Guys, interventions are supposed to help people, not attack every little thing you don't like about them. It gets to be kind of a running gag and, and a little out of control, but the idea is when you're close to people and they're doing something that is is destructive, that's hurtful either to themselves or to others, you step in. You don't let that behavior continue, and if if you're not enough to stop it, then bringing in two, you know, two or three people who also are motivated by a concern for this person who also care and who can say, yes, we've seen this as well. You know, the, you're not making, you know, he's not making it up. It's happening. We, and we want to help. We're here to help you. And, but again, it still, it still limits the exposure and the embarrassment and still allows for, allows for a little more of a private reconciliation and correction rather than just blasting it out on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I don't know 
you know, this is a little bit maybe of a, of a rabbit hole or whatever, but I'm really not sure it's really ever appropriate to, to take your, your issue with someone to social media. I, I, you know, I'm trying to think through, you know, we've had a number of interactions in, in the time that we've lived here with, you know, outside companies or corporations or whatever that we felt had wronged us at one time or another. I mean, it happens to everybody. I don't think I've ever taken it to social media. What good does it do? Right. To drag someone through the mud that way? Yeah. Yeah. How yeah, could it, how thought. could it, how can it possibly be considered a Christian response to just yeah. drag someone through the mud like that? So, you know, what what is taught next is when you bring other people into corroborate if that still doesn't work, then you you bring it to the church or church leadership, something along those lines. And let me just kind of give a plug. This is why churches have elders. Right. This is part of why churches have elders is if you still can't win this person over, involve involve an eldership. Right, and I think that's important because in this passage that you and I have both studied, when it says to tell it to the church, that's still not public forum. That's still not parade the person up in front of the congregation on a Sunday morning and broadcast their sin. It's tell it to the leadership of the church. Tell it to the core leaders in the church. Bring bring in the the, the church authority structure in, in, you know, ch- bring in bring in a church discipline process in into the into the, the into the picture, and I think that sometimes this is a step that ch- where churches get it wrong, where you know, well, they didn't listen to me, and I took two buddies with me, and they didn't listen to us, and so now we demand that you know their their sin be you know broadcast in public on a Sunday morning in the sermon, you know, that we're going to call right. them out and you know put it on the slideshow, <laughs> right. Right, exactly. And and really, I mean, if you have elders that are in the right position, the right people in the right position, they're going to do this really well because they're going to approach it with a heart of concern. Right. You ever want to know what all those elder qualifications are about? It's about stuff like this, that they they care about people. I mean, that's what most of those qualifications are about is caring, caring for others. And if they have that, they're gonna they're gonna get this really close, right? At at a minimum. Well, and then finally, the last the last part in that passage says, if they refuse to listen even to the church, you've gone through all these steps, and they just ref- the person refuses to change that sinful behavior. Uh, the instruction is to treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And so, I guess the question is, how how is a Christian called to treat a pagan or a tax collector? That's always an interesting part of that passage to me. It's like what part of the Gospels ever leads you to believe that Jesus was really, really terrible to tax collectors and, <laughs> and you know, pagans. And those far from God. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So this isn't saying, well, now you're released to treat them however. Right, you don't have to you care know, about them now, anymore. Now you don't have to care about right. them or love them. Now tweet what you want. Yeah, yeah, now, now just go full board on them. Uh, no, that's, you're assuming that this person has rejected, at a minimum, the teachings of Christ in this area. And so you you handle people differently yes. when they haven't bought in. And, and so that, that's all this is teaching, is handle them like you would somebody that's not even a Christian. Well, and in, and in that sense, you would, you would probably dial back on, on you know, where, where Paul says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? At this point, this person is now outside the church. Right. They, they've rejected the authority of the church in, in, in this area of their life. And so you, you probably dial down the judgment and accountability and dial up the compassion, really share the gospel with them all over again, help them to understand 
that Jesus, how Jesus loves them. And I mean, you're, you're, you're now being evangelistic with this person. Right. And most evangelistic techniques are not be a jerk. <laughs> right. That, or be condemning. That's right. You know, mo- most of them are based in build a relationship, show them love. And you do, I really, really like the way you just said that. that that's really, really good about preach the gospel to them again. You know, they need to know, man, Jesus Christ loves you and cares about you. That's why he's commanding you to do this. Right. It's not because he hates you or he's trying to steal something from you. Right. You take a step back from the the behavior correction and say, okay, there's a bigger thing going on here. I don't think you're understanding what the love of God really means and and why God asks you to do these things and and not to do certain things and not do other things. So we we need to take a step back from just pounding the pavement on correcting your behaviors and and take a, a, a bigger picture look at God's love in your life. And that's, I think that's a, a great way to kind of end here is on tone. You know, when the Bible talks about speak the truth in love, your ability to successfully navigate these waters of illegal, immoral, and sinful, your ability to do that is hugely dependent on your tone. So we really need to think about tone and, and do a heart check on it and make sure that our motivation and our heart is love. Hey, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on A Kingdom Perspective.